Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, guys. Hi. It's everybody's favorite guest is back. (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) Which which guest is that? Who's the voice? Oh, it's Pastor David's back. Yeah. <laughs> hey. hey guys. Thanks. Thanks for joining us again, David. You guys are so welcome. I have missed this and missed you guys, and I'm grateful that I get to keep up with you every week. So I'm excited. So we get, we get to bring the, the, like we like to throw the like the really dicey ones, the really fiery ones at you. You know, with before did did Jesus drink wine or not? Like for the burning question, people want to know which you know, obviously go back and listen to that episode, people, if you haven't already, because so much good stuff in there, you'll be surprised by that one. And, and then today, what we wanted to throw at you, another exciting, but also fiery one in a way, maybe the topic of shame. That's not something that a lot of people maybe want to like walk into, but also it's something that as a universal human emotion and, you know, personal experience myself of like, I was not somebody that thought that I never claimed shame. I thought shame was for like other people. Like I thought some people had shame and other people didn't. And I was one of those people that didn't have it, which newsflash, if you don't claim shame, as Brene Brown would say, it claims you. And probably the extent to which you don't claim it is a good sign that you have maybe a lot of it or where it's, you know, maybe getting in your way. And so as we talk about these stories that keep us stuck. We talk a lot about the stories around alcohol that keep us stuck, you know, in com- internal conflict with ourselves when we're not showing up maybe uh, with the, with what we value and how our actions don't, you know, align with that. Similarly, we have these stories about ourselves that we've developed from early on that get repeated on this unconscious, often unconscious, mostly unconscious level that affects again, how we show up in the world. And so this was something that we, we thought it would be important to obviously bring in the, the, the biblical part of this and where shame comes from and all that good stuff. So that's why we invited Pastor David for this conversation and, and we're just going to have a combo about it. So thanks for, thanks for being here. So my like personal, I'll cue it up here with kind of why this is like what my like what my life looked like back in 2018, it was something that, so before I found freedom from alcohol, before I was even looking at my relationship to alcohol, I was in a place where my youngest was off to school and I jumped right back into my, so I was an accidental stay-at-home mom. And then I jumped right back into my pharmaceutical sales career as a, as a means for maybe in retrospect, I can see like coping with the discomfort of all of a sudden not having purpose maybe because I don't have children at home. And I jumped back into that kind of busy season and I've been through my, you know, my story, but, but in that time I was, you know, it was, I was hustling. I was, you know, still in like kind of performance mode, producing, achieving, busying, you know, all the things that come along with trying to, I guess, prove in retrospect, I can say like prove my worth and prove my, you know, existence here in a sense. And so 
what I learned, I was so grateful for the Enneagram when it came along because it was something that it helped me see for the first time that some of these things that maybe I was starting to pay attention to or starting to notice about myself weren't actually things that were just flaws in me, that they were maybe related to that other people experienced them. So, you know, all of a sudden I'm feeling not alone in like, oh, okay, it's normal to, you know, feel like not enough. It's normal to feel like too much. It's normal to feel like we're not doing all the things well. And also it's normal to feel like on the outside, everything can look good on paper, but you know, there it's okay that something feels off. And that was such a big part for me initially of like acknowledging that it was okay for me to feel like something was wrong and off and for me to pay attention to that in that time. And so that started my whole kind of diet. Like what I do is jump into information. Like, let me start consuming, you know, get more knowledge about this. And, and that's when I found Brene Brown's work, of course. And I, you know, I like, I loved, so I just, I read all of her books and just absorbed all of that information. And it, and it was, it was good. It felt like, okay, this, this explains so much. And then it wasn't until I learned about Dr. Kurt Thompson's work and how he brings, you know, neuro, uh, interpersonal neurobiology and brings it together with spiritual formation, formation. And I started just to see that there, obviously, shame is not something that just some people have. And it's something that, you know, really starts way back, <laughs> way back from the beginning of time with creation. And so, yeah, I, I was I was wondering if you could, you know, talk to us or share with us from that perspective of like, where does shame come from? And, you know, why does, why does God allow it? And what does it look like? I mean, there's a lot obviously in that, but. Yeah, there is. Let me just first start with a disclaimer. And that is that like, I'm not an expert on shame, but my, most of my experience is with scripture, whether that's the kind of that preaching role that I'm in. And then also just, I mean, the bulk of the rest of my time when I'm not focused on preparation is with people and people scheduling time to talk to me and hear a lot of human experience that involves a lot of shame, just brokenness that people are in. And then I have this curse of having to live with myself like 24 hours a day. And so I know my own failures. I know my own brokenness. So I hope that I can bring a kind of a fresh perspective, maybe, although you guys do such a great job in your, you know, your weekly episodes of kind of talking about the complexity of, you know, y'all specific issue. So maybe I can offer a little bit of help to that from, from a theological or maybe even a biblical framework and then how we can try to respond to that. So I kind of have a working definition. It's not full when it comes to the scope of shame, but my working definition for shame is that shame is the fear of being found out. So it's not, that's not what probably psychologists would use, or maybe other people would use as like a book definition, but that's my, my, that's my working definition. It's a fear of being found out. And it really goes back to the second chapter of the Bible. So anybody that listened to our previous episode where you guys were talking, I kind of talked about how like you could take the first three chapters of the Bible and then just push repeat and then it keep like going over. And then it's fulfilled, you know, in Jesus. 
And then the last three chapters of the Bible kind of like bring it to like full completion in our story. But Genesis chapter two, you kind of have the full story of the first two created human beings. We'll go with the names Adam and Eve. That seems like a reasonable thing to work with there. And the last, the last verse of chapter two says that they were both naked and not ashamed. And so the first time that we even see the word shame in the Bible shows up in the second chapter of the Bible. And it's the first of the kind of the human emotion, if you will, the complexity of the depth of our our like wiring that shows up in scripture. So I think that's really important to key in on, right? But it's connected with this nakedness. And I I mean I I believe I'm kind of the bent of this. There's this like literal like story happening, but I also think it's kind of figurative too. So the literal component of it is that you have man and woman and they're completely nude. They're before each other and they're not ashamed. And I, I don't want us to miss that. I also don't want to like over-sexualize that at all, but I don't want us to miss the value of that is that this in this kind of good state of Genesis 1 and 2, you have male and female standing before each other completely vulnerable. There's nothing more vulnerable in life than being completely like, dude, you know, you're transparent, you're out there, and they were completely transparent before one another and not ashamed. Then nothing, nothing to hide. They weren't trying to hide anything. And I, th- I think this gives us a little bit of a cue into like God's design for humanity is that in kind of like God's perfect ideal world that is untainted by sin, we would be able to operate in this level of like full transparency, full vulnerability, and know that we are accepted, we are loved we are welcomed and that we won't be rejected by that. We won't be turned away. Um, We don't have to, we don't have anything to hide. So we're completely vulnerable. Right. So I think this like gives us a huge cue into like what's going on in God's like perfect plan, God's perfect plan. And then like, by the way, when you circle back to the end of the Bible, the last three chapters of the Bible where sin exits and then God restores in a new heaven and a new earth, we get this. We get this sense of like, okay, this is that picture again of the Eden, um, of the Garden of Eden, and this perfect place that God has created. So we see, we see that this is like, this is ideal. This is the the perfect plan, the perfect picture for humanity. Genesis three happens. That's my like common phrase. Then Genesis three happens. You see that Adam and Eve fall into sin, and they're really forbidden to do one thing, and that was to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve sees that it's desirable as as food, and she she takes it. Obviously, Adam takes it. They take it. The next the next verse after they sin, and this is to our knowledge the first time sin has crept into humanity. The very next verse is. They knew they were naked and then they covered themselves. So literally they, they became aware of something that was vulnerable, too transparent, and then they tried to hide themselves. They tried to hide themselves from each other. Now, before God enters into the scene, I think this is important because this reveals kind of our brokenness in humanity 
when we don't feel like in some way that we are, we can be fully transparent, fully vulnerable. We, we hide ourselves from other people and we try to cover ourselves up. And just at a very practical level, we see this when there are parts of our lives where we have shame, we try to cover ourselves up. We have this fear of being found out. So the the contrast of being found out is let's cover it up. And so let's cover it up with everything's great. Let's cover it up with things are going well. Let's cover it up with all these like mask of like things are great or let's cover it up and let's cope with this through action and behavior that might lead to a specific spiral into you know sin or something that holds us and has a stronghold over us you know to for your context here you know if we're dealing with something that we don't feel we can be like completely transparent in completely vulnerable in it might be easy for us to retreat to something that kind of covers that up like a glass of wine. So had a long day with the kids and I don't know where I can go with that confession. I don't know where I can go with that like truth and vulnerability. So the glass of wine is not going to reject me. It'll The glass of wine will never reject me. Yeah. Well, and it's going to soothe that judgment, that pain that I feel in response to having that thought that I, because I'm judging myself for being a terrible mom for the fact that I feel like I don't want to be with my kids right now or what I fill in the blank, like fill in the blank. all of that, that judgment that comes as part of that. And I, and I love what you, I mean, obviously kind of kicking it off with the whole vulnerability piece and thinking about how, I mean, that is something that Dr. Kurt Thompson would say, he's like, we don't do vulnerable. We are vulnerable. That's how we were created. And I think about, you know, as a young child, like I think about my youngest and how she is, she's comfortable being vulnerable. She hasn't started letting, you know, those narratives control her yet. So she is just, you know, showing up as herself. And I think we all at some point were, and then we, you know, we start internalizing those narratives that, that have that self-doubt as part of it and the judgment that keeps us in that place. And I know for me, for sure, it was like, you know, it was just like the jig was up eventually, like 2018, like the jig was up. I couldn't take it anymore. And the wine, I mean, not to even just mention the, the shame that came along with thinking like, well, maybe I do have a problem with alcohol. The fact that like, I don't want to drink it and I'm drinking it. Maybe that does mean I have a problem. And so, or even just admitting that like something was wrong. I had everything on on paper. My life looked, I had no reason. I wasn't allowed to complain about feeling what I was feeling, but I also can look back now and see that that is where the God, where God was working in me to kind of wake me up to like, Hey, let's, let's, no more, like no more performing, no more masks, no more people pleasing perfectionism, rightism, no more obsession with, you know, looking a certain way or, you know, having a certain body type, like all of that stuff. And, and then naturally as part of that, like entering into the, you know, exploring my relationship to alcohol, like that kind of was the easier thing to kind of work on first that led to the rest. But. Oh yeah. Gosh, me, there's so much of what you just said that like, Oh, I would love to parse out. I mean, one of those is Lily Jet, your your youngest, right? She, you said she hasn't kind of learned that like coping mechanism of dealing with the reality of who we are, our brokenness. Um, and I just think even back to my life, like there was a moment when I was in th- like third grade, and 
something happened and I won't go into details. It's not for this podcast and probably it's way too much information <laughs> for the audience to hear. Maybe on another juicy, you know, spicy podcast episode, we can do that. But like, I, I learned like in that moment, something had to be hidden and it was like imparted to me by like a babysitter, you know? So it's like, you, you, you just, there is something that is kind of like, I think it's part of our, our natural kind of brokenness to retreat and hide. But at time it, it does sometimes have a catalyst and in the catalyst, then we find that comfort of like, okay, well, if we can just hide this or we can just cover it up, like that thing, whatever it is, that thing is the fill in the blank is it's not going to reject me in this moment. But like everything else, you just have to keep like kind of covering it up. And so I call it like the shame snowball and it's not very creative, but it's just like, it just spirals into all kinds of things. It's like a little lie becomes a big lie. A little shame becomes big shame. And so it just kind of becomes this like interconnected web and all that. And you can, you can fill in the blank with all kinds of like ways that we try to hide ourselves in that. And then you're just like, I mean, you kind of meant like, mention the fact that there wasn't a place for you just didn't either know where to go or who to talk to. And that's the challenge of like nakedness and vulnerability and transparency. And when I say nakedness in this point, I mean like, you know, the kind of figurative nakedness sociologists would say that we have these, like these contracting spheres of relationship and transparency. And the, like, we need to be a part of something that's bigger than us. We need a, to be a part of this space where, we can explore trustworthy relationships. And then like those circles get smaller and smaller and smaller. You can even make the argument that Jesus had that, you know, he had the crowds that he preached to. He had the 12 that he hung out with. He had the three that he spent time with. And then he had the one who was beloved best friend. And the challenge is that for us, that smallest circle is typically either a spouse or like, the best friend that would die for you. And, but even in that, sometimes it's hard to know, like, Hey, if I'm fully disclosed that, especially like in marriage, like, can I fully disclose this or what will, how will my spouse, you know? So, so there's some challenges there in finding that. And that's why I think what you said about your experience in 2018 is so pivotal. And it actually goes back in my opinion to the, the continuance of the story in Genesis chapter two, the verse after Adam and Eve sew together fig leaves and cover themselves up because they realized they were naked. Obviously the implication there is that they had some shame is that they hear God in the cool of the day and they hide themselves from God among the trees. So the first response in their, their sin and their shame is to hide themselves from one another to cover themselves up from one another brokenness that happens in our relationship. And then the second part is they want to hide themselves from God. Now I want to point out something before I forget it. And that is that Orthodox belief about God is that God is all knowing. And so God already knew that all of this was going to take place in the first place. Like God knew this before he created humanity. God knew that because of free will, there would be this rejection to his perfect plan for, for our lives. He had to know that and he had to give us free will. Otherwise you can't have, um, you can't have true love. 
You cannot have true love if it's ever forced. And listen, forced to be received and forced to be given. And there's two sides of that coin that a lot of people forget about free will. Free will and love. A lot of people think it's just the free will to reciprocate free will to reciprocate love. You have to receive that first. And you have to choose that first. And so so in our creation, we have built in this knowledge that that like God is love and that God desires relationship, fellowship with us. God desires to be in community with us, in communion with us. And and then God knew, God knew that they sinned. So, but what did God choose to do? God choose to visit in the cool of the day. Don't miss that. A lot of people would skip over that. What that means is that God still desires that fellowship. God still desires that relationship with this, you know, humanity that he created in his image and his likeness. So before we even get to the conversation and before we even get to them hiding, we start with an understanding that even in our brokenness, even in our shame, God still comes to us. God still desires relationship with us. And Mead, in your 2018 experience, you're a big snowball of shame and stuff going on. And yet God still breaks through in that, right? So that's the picture that we have of God. God shows up to Adam and Eve and is like, where, like, where are you guys? And it's not a question of God's unknowing, like in his, his, that he doesn't know. It's a question of, do you know where you are? And do you know what you've done? And then Adam's response is, I heard you and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So what is shame? It's the fear of being found out. And the reason that we're afraid of being found out is because we feel like we'll be rejected. We feel like we will not be accepted. We feel like we will not be loved and we feel like we'll be We'll be alone. And so we actually, by default, do what we fear will happen when we hide ourselves, when we retreat to these activities or these behaviors or these thoughts or whatever it is, you fill in the blank. We actually fulfill what we fear the most. And that is that we we end up being more and more alone. And that shame just starts to snowball and it becomes an avalanche of, of sin and shame. So yeah. So I don't know if you want to comment or if you want me to keep going or what. So yeah, no, I, I just wanted, well, Christy, by all means, if you want to say something, please do. But I'm like, yes, I have something to say. Of course I do. Well, I was just thinking about too, the way that you, you know, said that is they, they, you know, they hid themselves. They were, that was like them taking matters into their own hands, them hiding and that creating that fear and how I can see in my own life, how, you know, whatever point that was when I was little and it then created this, I, I need to hide. I need to take care of myself. And I mean, none of this was on my radar y'all, by the way, for everyone that's listening. And I can't wait to share like my faith story another time because it's, I mean, it's only really changed dramatically in the last couple of years. So when I was exploring my relationship to alcohol, um, I was really looking at this from a psychological you know, standpoint and not, you know, the, 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 the bigger part, right? The, the biblical part, but, but I can see where God's saying to me, where are you finding me in my brokenness, vulnerability, in my shame feels really scary too. 
and like almost like I'm being called out versus what the Bible actually says. It, it, it's 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 not him coming to be mad at us and yell at us and you know like that's the part too that has been so transforming for me and seeing that that it's it's more that like I'm not going to leave you alone in this and you know like you pointed out with I didn't I didn't have anyone in my life I felt like I could say out loud even Todd who would have received it beautifully but like and I probably did in different ways try to maybe say it without coming I couldn't even admit it to myself and so it's just I love seeing how you know it it takes that that feeling of like not being alone and also, you know, how fear then kind of creates that self-reinforcing loop around shame and that I living protection self, I don't, you know, well, I've got to look out for me, which absolutely was kind of my whole first 30 plus years of life. So, right. Yeah. And I think the the critical part about what you said there was like God coming to you and saying, Hey, where are you? And you, you having that awareness. And I think that's where it starts. And we talked about in our last episode, the word repent really means to change the way that we think. And so it's that moment in the story of the prodigal son that probably most people, even if they're not like, you know, Christians or familiar with the Bible, they've heard this story before the Bible says he comes to his senses and I think that's that moment where you get to a place and you hear the the voice of this God who loves us even before we're really fully aware of it or or even before we like receive that. It's God's love demonstrating its grace and and we hear that question, all right, where are you? And if we'll be honest in that moment, that's where you start to see the like the transformation and the change take place because right after they have this conversation in Genesis three, what I love here is that God gives them a new covering. God gives them a new covering and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of kind of what we see in the fulfillment of Christ. So he takes their man-made coverings and he says, basically this is inadequate. So he's going to give them a new covering. He gives them a new covering that's based off sacrifice. And so you just see this kind of built to this like, this this fulfillment in Jesus, who, by the way, demonstrates, like the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet sinners. While we were full of shame, Christ died for us. And if there's any, any like further evidence of how much God loves us. It should be that while we were at the very depth or our furthest from God, he like he came to us like literally by becoming one of us and then submitted himself to that that death in order for us to see like the scope of his love and his acceptance of us. And so we can walk into this relationship with God based on like the very fact that we have this shame snowball and all of this complexity of the way that we try to distance ourselves from God and from one another is like God entered into that. And it's true to the character of God, which we can talk about a little bit, but it, but it can be true for us in a real and practical way to walk in this 
brokenness that we have, yet this restoration that God is doing in our lives that's ongoing, it's perpetual, and it's moving us towards this like perfection that one day will be realized in the new heaven, the new earth, the last two chapters of the Bible, where there is no more sin and there is no more shame. Because, listen to this, God fully dwells with man and man fully dwells with God. It's that Genesis 1, 2, prior to sin, where we see that we can walk in this full transparency, vulnerability, well, we, and there's, there's nothing that we will have to hide or cover up anymore. And so you, it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of what can happen when we hear that prompting, where are you? If we'll take inventory of that, whether it's Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, the prodigal son, the three of us, and go, hey, like I'm broken, I'm imperfect, I've got this list of sin. I've got this list of shame. I've distanced myself. And God says, come back. I've got a covering for you and I want to walk with you. And God doesn't, um, I think God would love for us to live perfect lives. I have no doubt about that because that's God's ideal. God knows what's best for us, but he knows we're not going to be. And so what I think God desires most for us beyond obedience and perfection is just rapid repentance. And I say that often, God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but what he wants from us is rapid repentance, that rapid, like, Hey, where are you? Okay. I'm right here. And so like for, for me, just in practice, I want to try to encourage people in is like, Hey, if you step into that moment where, Hey, you're, you're triggered, like you recognize something's off through shame. And so Meet early, early, earlier on, you said, Hey, sometimes like shame can be like a good thing. It can be an alert, like, okay, why do I want to distance myself from people? Why do I want to distance myself from God? When we hear that or when we think that, we process, Hey, where am I? And then we just rapidly repent. We turn in the way that we think God's right there. Anytime we feel distance from God, it's not a, it's not God that's moved. It's us. So we turn and God's right there, right there in our face, ready to receive us back in that relationship. So, so yeah, that there you go. Yeah. And this, oh gosh, oh my gosh, I love it so much. I'm thinking about too, how I can know all of this, but you know, this is another Dr. Kurt Thompson. He'll say like, until we can feel it in our chest, it's, it's not real. Like feel that love in our chest, feel that connection to God, feel the fullness of that. Then it's not, it's, it's not true to us. We talk about this on another episode where it's like, how can I know this, but yet still be doing this? It's, you know, where's that disconnect? And I think about how, you know, shame by design is isolating. There's judgment involved. If you talk, you know, talk about it too, from like that, that psychological lens, like those are the, the, the parts that they, you know, self-reinforce, if you will. I'm thinking about too, how our maybe reluctance are not wanting to share with other people or not feeling comfortable, you know, bringing that, not being honest with ourselves. What are we, you know, we're afraid to look at whatever it is, because we're afraid of that feeling of shame that comes along with it or, or realizing this and not having that person we can share it with. Well, but, okay. So what I'm trying to say is like, I'm like, I have so many different angles. I want to go with this. What I'm trying to say is 
you know, the people that maybe we could, so I'm thinking about the listener. Okay. I'm thinking about the listener who is out there right now. Who's like, nobody even knows that I listened to this podcast. That's about alcohol and I'm exploring my relationship and I'm thinking about how alcohol is taking up too much space in my life. And, and that person is out there and, and, and is going, Oh my gosh, like I, I, I don't, I have to scrub it from my phone so that nobody even sees that this is something that I'm considering because I was the person at that point in 2019 when it was like, I couldn't even say it out loud that, but, but what I did is I had one girlfriend who is full of faith, who is my girlfriend that I can say anything to. And I called her up on a whim and I said, this is, this is what's happening. I don't need you to fix this. But basically what I was asking is don't leave me alone in this. I don't want to be alone in this anymore. I was inviting her into where I was feeling broken and stuck and scared and all the things. And she held that and, you know, continued holding that for me. And I think to kind of make the full circle back around, I think that for me is how, you know, that's how I learned the truth that like Jesus is with me in all of that too. And he does love me through that experience of being with another who is living from Jesus and having that space. And so, yeah, it, it just, for the person who's out there, who's sitting in that it's, it's where I would, and I, other people have been that space for me too. And that the freedom that comes with having that, and you know, we've, we can talk about who like reach out to your pastor. Pastors are great people for, you know, bringing that to you. They're trained in that and and they can, they can hold that space, that non-judgmental empathetic, you know, space. So I just, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, me, that was, that's really good, especially the part about like having that trustworthy friend that you went to. And I think that if we're able to take inventory of our lives, like there probably are a few individuals that we can confide in and we know that it's not going to go anywhere. It's going to stay with them. We can trust them with that. As you mentioned, if, if there doesn't seem to be that person, maybe a pastor, maybe a counselor, a coach. Yeah. Let's start there. A coach or then a pastor that no. And, and, and that's, that's okay because kind of the key of this transformation and walking out of shame is having a place where you know you are accepted and you're going to be loved. And I genuinely believe that people are there called to be that place of trustworthiness for other people. They, they start from that place. And I know that from even just 28 years of ministry, like there's this weird grace that I feel like the Lord gives me for people that come and confide in me. It's like, I actually end up like, loving them more than before they walked in. And that's part of the journey of that. So do you think like having that person or a few persons to go to is really good? You, you, I can tell you want to do it. <laughs> I know. I can't help myself. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like the impulsive, like toddler that's like wants to yeah say something, but I think it's so valuable what you've said. Obviously it's valuable, but I, you know, I think about the person, whoever, if maybe that, you know, the person that's out there, that's like, I don't have anyone I can tell part of it is because it, it, it takes a level of comfort in sitting with somebody else in their discomfort of shame. Right. And that's where it can feel really, really daunting. And when I became a coach, I had no idea that as a coach, 
I would be entering in and I was so grateful that I had done so much work around this. And I, I mean, through my, really through my, through my faith and my deeper relationship with Jesus, that was huge for me and being able to create a level of comfort sitting with other people in their brokenness, which, you know, to your point as a pastor, like that's, you know, that's the grace that you're given that I'm given as a coach to be able to sit, you know, in that space. And I think that's finding that in somebody is so powerful. Yeah. So I would say just to speak to that, like I started working in a church, I was 18 years old and kind of the first critical conversation I had with a student was around her desire to like take her own life. And I was like, I, I don't even, I'm not equipped for this. I'm not ready for this. So I scheduled a time, the first time I ever spoke to a Christian counselor, Christian psychologist was in response to that. So like I had to, I had to go learn how to cope and to be equipped for that. So professionals that are coaches, that are counselors, that are pastors, they have both what I would consider to be like the, the gifts and the graces for that, but also training to be able to do that. And so that's really important when it comes to like our mutual friendships. I use the word mutual because I think that in order for us to really um, buy into that, there has to be this level of reciprocation from the other person. And there's a long kind of history in our faith of finding one, two, or a few other people who would mutually confess to one another. And for the last 20 years of my life, I've had a group of other pastors who are my closest friends, who we confide in on a weekly basis. And so we get together, we have a a brief breakfast, and then we go through five areas of our life where um, those five areas that are most important for us. And when there's sin, we confess it. And confessing is just simply answering the question, where are you? That's all it is. And but there's so much freedom and liberty that comes just in the in the in the stripping off of anything that we're trying to hide, anything that we're trying to keep from other people. And so, but that's an agreed upon that was an agreed upon re- part of our relationship. Say we're going to gather together once a week and do this, and we don't let new folks in easily, and because that trust is so important. And so, whether it's what we call an accountability group or you know, maybe even confessional groups or, or just a group of, of like-minded, like-hearted women for women and men for men. It's a great, great way to kind of explore this in our own lives and and start to get through that, that shame. Yeah. It's so, it's so true that, you know, the, the community piece, and I see it all the time with these coaching groups that I do, you know, we have like the sneak of mind has these bigger groups and I've coached in there, you know, and then I've had my own small group coaching and, you know, all the things to see people coming together in this place where they're showing up and vulnerably sharing, which creates that connection, which just like it does with God, when we're showing up vulnerably, that is what, you know, creates that connection and to see how lives are, are how that's the beginning of being able to have that radical honesty and maybe eventually ask, ask and answer that question. Like the, where are you? And receive that from God and pay attention to that so that you can with attention and intention, you know, continue showing up in your life, not missing those moments where shame is going to come in and 
you know, try and hijack the whole situation, paying attention to what our shame attendants, as Kurt Thompson would call them, or, you know, our flavors of shame is what I call it. Like everybody has their own little language of shame, knowing what those clues are so that we then can be with the question, where are you? And use that as an anchor to then move, not away from God, but back to God. Yeah, so good. I mean, and ultimately that's a place where we want to be, right? Because from that alignment in our relationship with God comes the fruitfulness and the fullness of of life that he desires for us. And, you know, I was just thinking about, there's a verse in the book of James that says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you would be healed. And I think a lot of times we overlook, at least in my faith tradition, sometimes we overlook that confessional element like horizontally in in community, whether it's accountability group, a coaching network, pastor, whatever. Um, and sometimes that's been like distorted and abused by like organized religion over the years. But I, but I think it's so true that when we do have that trustworthy community where figuratively we can be naked, we will, we will move past the place where shame causes us to hide or to fulfill that in being alone. But ultimately that, that question of where are you is to lead us back into that relationship with God, which obviously is the source from all of the fullness of life. And when we are aligned with, with God, our individuality, our, our body, mind, soul, spirit will be aligned. And then we'll walk in the fullness of God's desired life for us. And so that confessional aspect vertically is just as important, if not more important than the horizontal. And so that's why I talked about rapid repentance. I think that for me, when I get triggered in a good way, when that, that shame alarm goes off and it's like, okay, why do I feel like I need to like hide this, cover this up or whatever? Why do I feel like I'm distanced? Like the, the, my first response is almost always, God, thank you for loving me. Like God, thank you for welcoming me and accepting me. And, and it was great cost to God to do that for us at the cross, but that was what God was willing to do in order for us to have that place because God wants what's best for us and what brings him the most amount of glory. And so bringing that all the way back to God is, a, is, is the place where it all started. And that's the place where for us it's finished and, and made complete in us. And so it's a really important move to go from that horizontal back to that vertical. Yeah. I love that so much. I, I think that for sure, I mean, what you just described is what I've experienced in the past few years since I first in 2018 realized something's not right. Something's off. You know, I was waking up to my autopilot, my autopilot or fire alarm life that I was in. It was either autopilot going through just, you know, busy, go do hustle, all the things, never really being present and then fire, you know, fire alarm mode, put out all the fires and back and forth and back and forth. And then in, in, in finally paying attention to that offness that I felt and not being afraid of, you know, what I was, I mean, I was afraid, but choosing to lean into the discomfort anyway of what am I going to find here at the time my faith wasn't what it was. And so I didn't have that, but now I've learned what that looks like, you know, through having the people that have surrounded me and loved me and and shown me what that looks like. And, and then now being able to have like, oh my gosh, how beautiful is that? Like at any, 
when I know when, when my shame attendant is showing up, I have this like, and when you say like confess, I love also pointing this out to you, like confess to me has always been like, that's a charged word. Confess, confess. Like it always, like to me, it has a finger pointing like behind it. So one of my stories is that confess means like, you know, say what you've done wrong and accept your punishment. And that, and what I love when I hear now, one of the stories that used to keep me stuck was confess means now receive your punishment. Now someone's mad at you. Now I know the truth that confess is like, it's to me, it's telling the truth. It's being radically honest with myself and being radically honest, connected to the Lord, not being alone with that radical honesty because I've got God and, and, and having that truth that there's like, I can, I feel the exhale and just being able to say it out loud. And that I can look back and see how for 30 some years of my life, not having, it takes a lot to keep that all contained and the masks, the people pleasing, the rightism and the I mean, perfectionism and and being the best mom and all of those things. And I don't have to do that anymore. And it's such a relief and it's so freeing. And it's, you know, that's why I say like, yeah, the freedom from alcohol was just, it wasn't the missing piece to the puzzle. It was like the beginning for me of Mm, the the greater, the greater freedom journey. Yeah. 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 And finding life, abundant life in Christ. I mean, just so good. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said there. And I think that's part of the distortion that I mentioned, like how religion over the years maybe has abused confession is that instead of like, Hey, confess, receive your punishment. What we, what we hear from the Lord is confess, receive your healing, confess, receive your freedom, confess and, and experience fullness of confess to close the gap of distance between us. And, and that's ultimately where we're going to find that, you know, the, the most fulfilling life and the most fruitful life is when we do that. And, you know, and, and it is a lifelong journey and with every little puzzle piece, the bigger puzzle is being put together and then I'll be brought to completion one day. And it's glorious thing. It's glorious thing. Amen. Yeah. So, so good. Thank you so much, David, for this, conversation for just, yeah, bringing, bringing it all. We appreciate it so much. And it was a lot of fun, even though it's, it's a harder subject to talk about. And whenever we're showing up, literally showing up vulnerably and sharing personally, I mean, you know, we're, we're choosing to be who God created us to be. And that feels a lot better than the alternative. I've done the other way. (laughs) I did. I did the other way for a long time. Well, it's a tough subject. It can be challenging. But I think in that we see the beauty of God's love for us and the beauty of what human relationships can be. And maybe one day in the future, we can talk about how we are actually wired. Like we haven't even talked about that, like how we're actually wired to be in relationship with God and with one another. Um, But it is in the shame if we will say, hey, this is where I am. If we'll answer the question, where are you? That we get to see the beauty of and depth of God's love and naturally how we can experience that at a human level too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Take the shame and the broken and become the beauty in the transformation. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Fun guys. See you next week. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at 
Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.